morning. Love that. <laughs> he was like, my appointment was at 10.30, but I showed up at 10.15. My appointment was at 10.30, but I got there at 10.15. You know, I walked really in like there about 10.30. Punctuality. <laughs> so rock and roll to be on time. I would go out tonight, but there's a new episode of Reaction Howdy, folks. We're back with another episode of Reaction Brats. I'm David. I'm Robin. And we have a very special guest today. We are in Pembroke, Ontario, home of the infamous Jordan Zadarozny. Jordan, how you doing? Doing well. How you doing, gang? Not too bad. Not too bad. We are here at Skylark Park, which is Jordan's studio and home in Pembroke. I am working on some of my own music. Going to mix it up with Jordan. And we just got started, and it's sounding pretty good. How do you think it sounds, Jordan? Great. I really... I'm. I, I mean, I'm a fan of your stuff, so it's fun to work on. And we kind of did, you know, kind of what I was picturing, which is just like add a little color and shape to things, a little bounce. Yeah. I'm going to take it home and add some more bells and whistles. And then I think that one's in the can. So I'm liking it. Robin, this is your first time in Pembroke? Yeah. I love it here. I thought that I would love it here. I had brought a blanket and a yoga mat and books. And I had big plans to do nothing while you guys were here in the studio. I had big plans to be outside and it's been better than I thought it was going to be. This is such a cute little town, a great place and everyone's so friendly and your land here is amazing and the studio is so cool and I don't know, I just love that in the like how long have we been here? A couple of days. A couple of days. I love that people stop by and say hi and want to meet us and talk to you. And your mom comes and talks about Evan Dando and conversations <laughs> she had with him five years ago. I don't know. I love it here. I'm ready to move in anytime you'll have us. Yeah, me too. I mean, I've been coming here for 16 years now. Wild. Yeah, summer 2006 was the first time I came up to work on stuff. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with Pembroke too. Like that week is like... A very fond memory. Mm-hmm. I never stopped coming back. Explain where we are right now, Jordan. Like, this is your studio. We're on farmland. Like, how did this all come to be? Well, I, I used to be, as you remember, in a downtown building that was like an old bank or something like that on the second floor. So, for various reasons, had to get out of there. Had some land here and decided to build the studio. Kind of to my specs within a budget. You know, obviously, it would have been nice if it was a tiny bit bigger. But So, I got to kind of like do things in the construction or have the rooms in um, built in a way that I wished the old place could be. So it's very much to my taste. And it's also in contrast to commercial studios that I've worked in, where there's like limitations in those places because they were built 40 or 50 years ago and the way that records are made now are different. We're mostly in the control room. This is where most of the action takes place. So I made a, a much bigger control room than I was used to, even in larger studios in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. To put a finer point on it, I have my drums here in front of us in the control room for sonic reasons, but also just for, because I, I do most of my recording by myself, just to have the drums three feet away from the preamps and to be able to switch from drum playing to drum editing instantly. Yeah. So during the COVID period, the, the control room has sort of become my third arm. You know, I guess once I get back to having more in-person people, you know, move the drums out and make things more convenient for, you know, for sort of more regular recording with people. But right now it's sort of like, I I like this crammed sort of reality in here. 
Yeah, and this is everything happens in here for me. And you also live here in the yeah, studio. Yeah, I live in the studio, so I like to keep the other area for living a bit right. more. Right. Like which is the control room, or yeah. the, sorry, the live room. Yeah. So I think normally, if it's not in a pandemic and you're recording bands in here, you would be in here and the bands would be in the other space. Is that typically well, how that would work? Um, that's the way it used to work. Yeah. Like in the 60s and maybe even into the late 70s. The artists were kind of like out there and the producer engineer kind of controlled things in here but now you know i would say since the 80s what we do with guitar amps is we bring the guitar heads in here and put the amp outside run a cable through the wall close the door and so now the sound that you're hearing through the speakers in here is exactly the sound you're going to hear on your record Hmm. so you're you're not out there dealing with because when you when you have loud sound and distortion in the room with you you're not you can't hear properly. Right. You can't hear the distinction between stuff because there's so much noise hitting your eardrums. So when you're in the control room, it's more controlled. So most of the action still takes place in here. Um, drummers would be out there typically right. though, in the other room. Because it's so loud. And I would communicate with them with a microphone. And we'd have like, you know, these windows are big. We have great visual communication. I love communicating with drummers and being able to look them in the eyes. Mm-hmm. Important. Well, I was going to... Just say now we should talk about some bands you've recorded, but you know what? It might be that time, Robin. <laughs> Is it Wikipedia time? Wikipedia time. When you just want the fans, oh! it's Wikipedia time. So much I need to know. It's Wikipedia time. I'm ready to learn. Yeah. 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 yeah, I'm All scared. Right. Jordan Zadarazny is a Canadian rock musician and producer. He is the singer and songwriter for indie rock band Blinker the Star. He is best known for co-writing songs with Courtney Love in the late 1990s. Zadarazny has also appeared on recordings by Melissa Oftamar, Sam Roberts, Tara Sloan, and Mandy Moore. He produced a number of bands in the Ontario area at his Skylark Park Studios. Jordan was a member of Canadian indie band Abbey with Sophia Silva from 2000. 2004 to 2008. He has since reformed Blinker the Star and has released the album We Draw Lines and his latest Eight of Hearts. Anything you would like to add, alter, remove to that? Uh, I guess it, uh, it hasn't been updated since 2017. Yeah, you've released way more than so that. Th- uh, three albums since then. That's a pretty good Wikipedia page. Well, there's nothing glaringly inaccurate. I thought that my birth year was wrong. Yeah, this says 74. Yeah, it's 73. Yeah. So that's... I mean, everything else is pretty accurate. So your old studio was called French Kiss, and like one of the first acts you recorded at French Kiss was Sam Roberts. Uh, it was actually recorded pre-French Kiss before I had moved oh, into that right. space. I had my gear in my mom's basement, and I was looking for a space. I was not picturing it being in Pembroke, but um, we found the, the space for the studio and moved my stuff in temporarily, the ideas for a couple months, and then I would maybe move somewhere else. Yeah. But it sort of took on a life of its own. So the Sam stuff was done in my mom's basement over, I would say it was at least over a year, and I think we talked about it for almost a year before we even did it, of him just taking the bus up to Pembroke and then us working in, in the basement, which was like a rec room, destroyed rec room from hockey, you know, like hockey... Yeah, you know, shenanigans in the basement mm-hmm. from years prior. So yeah, it turned into my first studio basically. And but th- those recordings, that Sam Roberts recording, is the one that brought him to yeah it fame. Had the two hits on there, and it I think was a gold EP or whatever. Mm-hmm. These two yeah. cool. Yeah, that's cool, and that's where it all began. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one artist that's not mentioned in that Wikipedia page is uh, Evan Dando. Evan Dando of the Lemonheads was here for a week. As a member of his, um, I guess, short-lived three-piece group, the Sandwich Police. And how did that happen? Through uh, my friendship with his manager, John Kastner, ex of the Doughboys. He's always been um, lobbying Evan to come up here and record with me. He thinks it would be a good mix. So, you know, this wasn't the full just solo Evan thing. This was like a band. Mm-hmm. And it was everyone was super talented in the band. Uh, and it was fun. Yeah, the idea was like, you know, to get it to sound like a, a fun laid back session, you know. So they would like to do um, two vocals at once on the same mic. That actually was the trickiest thing about it because Evan has a low husky voice and uh, Marcia, who was singing with him, has a higher voice, like a, I wouldn't say soprano, but tenor up there. To get them to blend on the same mic and try to get the same compression level because even the volumes are so yeah. different. So I was like learning old school miking techniques on the fly like okay Evan can you stand back is your way louder Hmm. and to try to get a blend uh, without too much room sound in there because I don't have the kind of old school you know step like a little vocal booth out there so if I had a vocal booth the sound would be much more controlled and stuff so it's a little wild sounding that EP but I think that was to their tastes Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah I listened to it yesterday I thought I didn't even know about it. So when you were telling me about him being here and then your mom came over and said hello and then she was telling us about him being here. And so I thought I'm gonna, I should listen to it. If I'm going to listen to it anywhere, clearly I should listen to it out in the field where he was laying in the dandelions playing Merle Haggard, yeah. you know, <laughs> songs on his guitar. I should, this is exactly where I should lay and listen to it. Uh, and so I did and I loved it. It sounded great. Awesome. So yeah. I, uh, yeah, next time he comes, if he comes, just give us a quick little secret message and we'll be on our way absolutely we'll just drop by (laughs) ron will be up here cooking for the week here (laughs) if you want to check that out it's called the sandwich police right yeah and it's on when did it come out robin 2016 yeah Yeah. so a year after we recorded it it's on all the streaming platforms too so check that out oh cool i'll have to listen to it again because i haven't heard it in a couple years either so Mm -hmm. that's great yeah sorry go ahead no, it's okay. Go Are ahead. you breaking into song? There, I was going to say, here's a clip, but it's too oh. late for that. It's never too late for a clip. Through your love letters and fires to make ashes Because ashes are a beautiful thing for painting brand new pictures If you burn the forest down, it could grow back strong If you don't, let that fire burn too long do you want to tell us about Courtney Love a little bit? You wrote songs with Hole in the 90s. What, what was yeah. the deal with that? How'd we, that happen? So we were touring, uh, um, I guess to back up a little bit, Melissa Oftermar, who I was in a band called Tinker with in Montreal, and we were and remain great friends. She was in Hole at this point, and Blinker the Star as a three-piece band had just, you know, we were about a year into getting signed and being an active band. Like, we got signed really quickly. And then, so we were doing a 1995, like, um, CMJ show or whatever in New York at Brownies. And Melissa was in town rehearsing with Hole. And Melissa told them before the rehearsal, she said, listen, I have to leave at whatever o'clock to go see my friend Jordan. I want to go and support Jordan playing in New York tonight. And I'm leaving at that time. Um, And everyone was like, oh, oh, okay. Um, So at the end of the allotted time, Courtney said, can I come? And Melissa said, sure. So they came. Courtney apparently really liked the show. At the end of it, she kind of like, I saw like the crowd spread, (laughs) like the Red Sea. And she came up and excitedly sort of complimented 
me and the band and uh, said we should write songs together. I was like, sure, great, okay, see ya, bye. It was pretty quick. I don't, I don't remember speaking much longer than that. And then as that tour was winding up, maybe a month or so later, Melissa called me to relay the invitation to come out and write songs with Courtney and the band, I guess, is how it was going to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that they had written with Charlotte from the Go-Go's a little bit before I got there, or is that who it was? I don't know. <laughs> There's yeah. a, we'll have to Wikipedia yeah. um, Celebrity Skin which is the album we're talking about, the whole album. So that whole process was happening. They were in a writing phase, not recording yet. And so at the end of my tour, it was arranged that our last show was in Kansas City. Instead of going home with the band, (laughs) poor Jordan, I got to fly to LA. Nice. And they drove the van back to Montreal. They were kind of pissed. Poor bastards. Yeah. (laughs) So I flew out there and then spent three days at the Riot House on sunset alone in the hotel room no cell phone kind of waiting for the phone to ring but I explored like my immediate environment I'm a walker and LA is not a walking town but I was in you know I'm on the strip as it was and I, I was more interested in just like the little delis and stuff like that I wasn't getting wasted or anything. I was like, oh, American Spirit cigarettes and uh, <laughs> Greenblatt's Deli. And wow, these wines are overpriced, but delicious. And so I just kind of hung out around the hotel, waited for the phone to ring. Eventually it did. Oh yeah, her man- their manager- management, which was Q Prime, the massive rock management. I remember them sending me a little um, envelope with like four or 500 bucks. I was like, wow, it's cool. Like honorarium, just like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then Courtney called after three or four days and said, hey, you're right down the hill from my house. Just come on up. So I just walked up with my guitar. And then we got reacquainted and, and basically started writing songs, sometimes at her house, and then sometimes mostly in the rehearsal space with the rest of the band. But were you like shitting your pants? Or was this like a, yeah, cool, whatever, I'm going to Courtney Love's house? Like, were you... <laughs> Like, you tell it in such a, like, cool, calm way, but I would have been hyperventilating and trying to keep my cool. I was aware of the sort of, you know, I wouldn't say gravity, but like I was aware of, like, the sort of rarefied situation this was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't freak me out, and she didn't freak me out. I mean, I'd, I have musician parents, so right. I met a lot of characters. Yeah. A lot of, like, characters with substance abuse problems, with big egos. Mm-hmm. And they may not have been rock stars in the general public eye, like Courtney Love was, but in their little world, they were sure bigger than Courtney. And I'm a musician, and, I'm, and I grew up a musician, so I was really secure yeah. in that part of myself yeah. even though I was still developing sure and I kind of look back and go wow if I knew what I knew what I know now I really could have contributed a lot more and, and better to that record I feel I was like you know still a little green she thought I was older than I was so <laughs> right uh, yeah she was surprised when I so you after 20. weeks I was like I'm 23 what <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's cool. So you had a confidence in what you were doing too and what you could bring that helped. Yeah. Good. And she, she, uh, you know, really kind of brought that out. She was like, you're here because I just want to hear you. I want, you know, what you would do. So what are the songs on Celebrity Skin if a listener wanted to check out something that you... So only one song that we collaborated on ended up on the record and it's called uh, Reasons to be Beautiful. They had like the verse riff hanging around for a while and they weren't quite sure where to go with it. So they kind of had like a, the verse riff. I think maybe she may have even had melody or lyrics for the verse. And they just wanted like a chorus that went somewhere else. 
And so, yeah, I kind of like came up with a chord sequence for the chorus. And then Courtney wrote a melody over that that was really cool that everyone liked. And we were like, oh, there we go. We got a verse and a chorus. I don't remember what happened. I haven't listened to it in a while. I'm not sure what happens in the bridge there. But yeah, everyone kind of threw in a little bit. Like I think the initial riff was Eric's. And then, you know, the melody and lyrics were Courtney's. And then the, the chorus chords were mine. And how long were you down there doing all this with them? It was a while. Like, I think it was like nine or ten weeks. It was like, it ran from like, no, it was probably like end of October to right near Christmas. Just hanging out with Hole. Six or seven, seven. Hanging out with Hole and Drew Barrymore. That's true, yeah. It's coolest. Yeah. Hanging out with Hole and Drew Barrymore in the 90s. Yeah, he caught Drew picking her nose. What? I'm kidding. <laughs> I made that up. I think we should hear that song. Here's a clip. Why don't you guys talk about how you know each other? How did you guys hook up? Uh, through Sons of Butchers. So I used to be involved. Well, I still am involved, actually. But uh, we had a television show called Sons of Butchers. So we wanted to do the music. Uh, we wanted to record with Jordan because we did all the music for the show. So Trevor Zebarth, uh, just I think he actually came up to you at a Blinker show at the Underground and said, I have this thing. and Bought me a drink. Yeah. I think you were like, I didn't oh. notice. There was that was the night that I think I got bought more drinks after a show than ever. Yeah. And um, what year was that? Like two thousand? I think. Well, yeah, two thousand and three or four. Was that when we were opening for Sylvain? Sylvain at the Underground. I, don't know. I wasn't at the show. It was a party atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of drinks being bought. I think Trevor mentioned, like, we have this show and we'd love to come record. And I think you were like, yeah, okay, cool. And of course, like, you yeah. never thought that anything would come night. from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the show would have already been on Teletoon? Uh, no, I think we would have been making the first season probably. But So then you guys kind of, then it got a little bit more serious. I, I kind of just went, okay, whatever. You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't know if he was serious or not. He just seemed like a good time guy. Right. <laughs> and, um, and then, but then... I got a call from Trevor, I think, and he said, no, we're serious. We got a budget. Um, can we come up and meet you? Like, we're going to be in the area, or are you guys came up specifically? Or? That's right. Yeah, we had to go to Teletoon for like a promotion. So there was a meet thing. and greet at my studio. Yeah, there so was. They, they were up there at like three in the afternoon. They came in, and they were just like bundle of energy talking. And like I was like, okay, there's distinct personalities here. <laughs> um, very excited. Trevor was just super pumped. Yeah. And was like, well, you don't understand what a big fan we are. Blah, 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 blah. So then I was like, yeah, that this all makes sense. And yeah. we, we worked out a plan. And then they came up. Like, I remember we had to record somewhere around 80 or 90, ext- you know, very short pieces of music for the TV show. Like anywhere from 20 seconds to a minute and a half, mostly. A couple longer ones. A couple longer pieces. And we had like, oh, was it like 10 weeks to do it in or something? It was the summer, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So Trevor was here. I, I only came up for a little over a week. I was able to finish everything I had to record, drums, vocals. Uh, but then Trevor stayed for a very long time to do everything else. Um, but then we had like Vince, the drummer from Priestess, came and played drums on a bunch of it. Mm-hmm. I remember Jeremy Taggart hanging out one day. He was, oh, remember, remember he was here. Did he bring him over? I, think. I don't remember. <clears throat> His or did gr- he just show up? He was here with a girlfriend. His girlfriend was from Pembroke at the time. Right. I think he just came over. I think so, too. 
It was very. I was just like I'm. It was I forgot like, about oh, that. I'm sitting here with the guy from Our Lady Peace. It was really cool, but uh, it was just a super fun trip. It was like a super fun week, and I just never stopped coming. And then we started working on. You recorded a Don Vale record, my band with Mitch Bowden. Um, then you started doing videos for me. I started doing videos for Blinker. That's right. You can check some of those out. Um, but yeah, that's how, that's how we know each other and have been working on stuff ever since. And I've done the art for like your last how many records? I'm not even sure. Three at least. Yep. And then singles. I've been doing. Your art single as well. artwork as yeah. well. So it's a working relationship. Ongoing. Yeah. I love it. We should probably get to the record we're going to cover today. Sure. We are doing... I'm so excited about this. Well, tell the folks. Tell the folks what we're doing there. I just feel a bit vindicated. We walked into the studio yesterday and Jordan had it on. And I just... I got so happy because we have mentioned it in earlier podcasts. And I just feel like every time I bring it up, I get shut down by no matter who it is I'm talking to. <laughs> And it was on yesterday, and I was like, this, because we had decided that we were going to record a podcast while we were up here, but we hadn't decided which record we were going to do. We had to pick one that all three of us at least knew. And when it was on yesterday, I was like, this, we're going to do Kiss Unmasked. There it is. Yay! It's a great choice. It's a really good choice. I'm so happy. And it has recently been on my radar because a really good pal of mine, I kind of randomly, you know, we talk about Kiss sometimes and he has some friends who are either like massive Kiss fans or like people with sort of peripheral history with the Kiss organization. And so we kind of talk a lot and, you know, gossip a little bit about Kiss and stuff like that. And so I sent him some Unmasked tracks and he didn't really know Unmasked and it kind of blew his mind, the audacity of some of it. And uh, so it was on my radar of just being like talking about this record and listening to it a few times. So, and then, yeah, you guys walked in and I kind of had it going. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how it's... Uh, it it was kind a good, of set yeah. the tone for the day. Yeah, the fact that you and Robin hadn't met yet and we walked in and you were playing on mast I was like this is a good sign <laughs> so let's get into it <laughs> hey guys yeah it's that time again what time is that I think Jordan knows what time it is why is Wikipedia time when you just want the fan kiss is an American rock band formed in New York City in January 1973 by Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Frehley, and Peter Chris. Well known for its members' face paint and stage outfits, the group rose to prominence in the mid-late 1970s with its shocking live performances, which featured fire-breathing, blood-spitting, smoking guitars, shooting rockets, levitating drum kits, and pyrotechnics. The band has gone through several lineup changes, with Stanley and Simmons being the only members to feature in every lineup. The original and best-known lineup consists of Stanley, Simmons, Freely, and Chris. And the record we're doing today is Unmasked. Unmasked is the eighth studio album by American hard rock band Kiss, released on May 20th, 1980. Despite being credited, Peter Chris had no involvement with the recording of the album. Anton Figg played all the drums uncredited. That's all it says for this record. That's not much of a Wikipedia page. Well, there's some further down on the page, but we'll, we'll get into it as we go. What's your history of Kiss, Jordan? You're obviously a huge fan. Well, uh, by the time I was paying attention to like um, popular music and my friends were Kiss were in... You know, their non-makeup stage in the 80s, making a kind of like copycat 
metal that didn't really endear them to us, but we kind of were kids of rock magazines, and so we were aware of like this outrageous history, and we liked the 70s records once we investigated them. They were like great rock and roll records that really kicked ass, and by the time I was 13, you know, we were aware of them being clownish and like, you know, really into self-promotion and stuff like that. So we weren't around in the 70s, so we talked to like older kids that like were there at the time, and it was like pretty interesting, fun time to like be around when rock and roll was happening back then. Mm -hmm. They were my favorite pre-kindergarten band. Pre-kindergarten. Yeah. I love it. Before I was in school, they were my my absolute favorite. What about you, Robin? I have early memories. Like my early memories are of them on like, I don't know if it would have been much music or Toronto Rocks or whatever, like Lick It Up and I Love It Loud and stuff like that. I don't remember liking it or not liking it. I just Mm -hmm. remember it being on. And then in 96, I remember being in Toronto just for the day shopping with my boyfriend at the time. And we saw all the kiss shirts and the like kiss makeup and we were like oh this is like they're playing tonight like it was the reunion tour and we were like that's gonna be fun like we should go and so we just went to Skydome or wherever they were playing I'm sure it was Skydome and just got tickets and went that night but even then it was like we just knew big kiss songs but that was really it but then I dated a guy after that boyfriend that was super into Kiss. And then that was when I got into, like, when I first heard Unmasked and the Paul Stanley solo record. That was when I started to get really into this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When I fell in love with Paul Stanley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when they took the, the makeup off because I had been oh, yeah? a really small little kid fan of them in makeup. And I remember the night that they were going to reveal their faces. or they had, I think they did it on MTV. They did. But that night, uh, I think Entertainment Tonight replayed the footage so oh. I remember my mother saying you have to come down and watch kiss are gonna be right and i was like they're taking off their makeup i remember being very very bummed out because that's obviously you know that's why i liked them they looked cool they looked like superheroes right and gene yeah. was my favorite as a child so it was this big they were gonna take off their makeup and they had like a big press conference about it like that it was, was like an interview with a it was an interview with jj one of the MTV VJ, or VJs and a Kiss were sitting there sort of, it looked like almost like a press conference table they were sitting at. They had arrived with no makeup on and then there was like this shot where they superimposed the makeup on the guys electronically and it's sort of primitive effect. Right. And then it dissolved away to reveal their real right. faces. Yeah. Wow. I didn't see that thing. My first reveal was the Lick It Up video coming on Friday Night Videos in, you know, I think it was like late 1983 and my friend Jason Henderson being over and us staying up late till like 11 or 11.30 to watch it. And we're like, oh, we're going to see them. Mm -hmm. You know, because I Love It Loud was just the year before. Mm -hmm. And that kind of made an impression. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. Amongst the kids was like, whoa, that's, you know, serious at least or noteworthy. Mm -hmm. And then there's that reveal where um, at the chorus of the song, I think as, as it goes, you don't you see them walking, right, but you don't see their, their faces, yeah. and then the camera pans up right <laughs> yeah. as the chorus drops, yeah. mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, we watched That's it. What they look like? We watched it this morning. It is one oh, of the really, yeah. When, when we first woke up in the hotel this morning, we watched it. What are it's, your fresh impressions? Oh, it's one of the most ridiculous videos ever. But it's they just don't look like they feel right. Like oh, yeah. you can tell that so much of their charisma was with their makeup on, you know. Mm. And you're like, oh, well, that buddies, shot. I'm sorry you don't feel natural right when they now. walk up it's so awkward when they're like walking to the camera Gene then they is definitely stop. the most awkward yeah, he's got he that had look the, on his the hardest time adjusting Paul I think felt 
fairly comfortable fairly quickly. He was here's the one thing is that those guys were sick of not getting recognized because their egos were such yeah. I'm audio book listening to the Doug Board book that partially is about Kiss and um there's a really funny story about Cherry Curry from um The Runaways. She mm-hmm. was paying attention and she was in LA at the time and this is like April 76. So Kiss her in town, I guess recording Destroyer or something or she says that they would hang out at the Starwood and of course when they would go out in LA at night they they're not wearing their makeup. But this is in their prime makeup state and of course they didn't allow or want at all pictures of them without makeup to appear in the press of course mm-hmm. so but they're hanging out at the club and um, she said what was funny about it was that they would show up at the Starwood like the rock and roll club in Hollywood at the time with leather kiss tour jackets on <laughs> you're like don't recognize us oh here's our kiss yeah. stuff <laughs> that is brilliant it's hilarious yeah so yeah uh, all this gets back to an album called Unmasked where they are not at the stage yet where they have taken off their masks. There's still two more masked albums Mm -hmm. before we get to Lick It Up in 83. So it's a weird title. What about the artwork? It is... It sort of is like a multi-paneled comic book Mm -hmm. of a weird story involving a false reveal or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they were leading up to it, right? Mm. Obviously, I guess they had decided that this would be their last record. It had been discussed, I guess, right? Even amongst fans, it's like, when are they going to take it off Mm -hmm. eventually? And like the wheels were starting to come off at that point, right? Unmasked. Well, we're firmly in Kiss's first awkward stage. Yeah. And they decided, well, they worked with this pop producer, Vinnie Poncia, I think is how you pronounce it. And so they did Dynasty with the big pop hit, I Was Made for Loving You, which mm-hmm. is like a straight up rock disco song in, in the style of maybe like Rod Stewart was doing at the time. Uh-huh. They have a hit, but they start to lose credibility. And I think even the, some of the attendance starts to fall off already, I think. They do Unmasked. It does not hit in America. They do not tour in America. In fact, for another two years, I think. Hmm. Becomes a hit in Australia. A fluke hit Shandy. The pop song becomes a hit in Australia. They go down and have a ball and play, I think, the best shows of their career. Yeah. With the new drummer, Eric Carr has just entered the band. He does not play on the record. Neither does Peter Chris. Neither does Peter Chris, who I guess they finally admit that he's out of the band. I think they kicked him out sometime before, perhaps as much as a year. And it's Anton Figg of the world's most dangerous band, the Letterman House Band, who is drumming on that record. And Ace Frehley's solo album. That's right. 1978 Kiss yeah. solo album. Well, I think we should probably get into the songs. Uh, right off the bat, the first song on the album is, Is That You? I hear you cheating with my teacher. Love it. Yeah, this song's kick-ass. It. Yeah. It's the a great first song. song I heard from the album as a kid when mm-hmm. I had the tape. A mm-hmm. uh, song is written by Mr. Gerard Thomas McMahon, and I found this interesting tidbit. He is probably best known for his gothic rock anthem, Cry Little Sister, which is in the 87 film, The Lost Boys. Remember that song? Oh, I do love Cry I remember that sister. song. Here's a clip. Cry sister. Anyway, he wrote it. 
And uh, it's got a weird sound, that sound. It's got kind of like a, a, a wobbly, drunken sort of feel to it. Even in the recording, it's like strange sounding. It's got some flammy kick drum, and the drums are sort of a little clumpy. They're not quite nailing. And this is why, just in my own head, I've never read anything that led me to believe this, but just in my own listening experience, this is the song where I feel like maybe that's Peter Chris because mm-hmm. it's just a little... Not as slick as the rest of the record where it's clearly a New York session drummer Mm. who's playing very sophisticated and refined style of drumming that's not really hard rock drumming. It's more like New York hard funk drumming. Mm-hmm. Of the day. Great song, though. Great song. Awesome start. rock song. Yeah, it basically kind of is like real hardcore kiss, fun, kind of bad attitude. Yeah. Amazing Paul vocal. Mm-hmm. I was so surprised that he didn't write it yeah. when I learned that. Mm-hmm. But it I'm fits them too. so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And a little like sort of disco pre chorus. And then the chorus just explodes into classic Paul, mm-hmm. like power, pop, rock. Yeah. Almost. And such a good metal. way to open the record. The second song is. Shandy. Do not say it like that. Not a fan. What do you guys think of this one? I love this song. I love this song. Does I cannot tell you how much I love this song. Oh, you tell me all the time. There was a time, I'd say, from 98 to 2001, where I probably listened to this song every single day. I probably listened to this whole record every single day and this song multiple times a day. I love it. I can't tell you exactly what it is I love about it, but, and without having any like musical knowledge really, is it the jangly minor chords? It's minor, minor chords. Is that what's happening there, right? The song is like, they're using like minor seventh chords, which he has not really dabbled in that much. I feel it in my heart. Like I feel it. I don't know what it is Mm -hmm. about it. I love it. And then the vocal melody on top of that jangly, whatever that is, I just love it and the like illicit love affair lyrics i'm all i'm all for this song i agree a hundred percent with everything you say i it seduced me immediately Mm -hmm. and always has i've always had time in the day for it and as we were saying yesterday shandy 100 greater than signs (laughs) i was made for loving you yeah i'm with that i I, kiss i was made for loving you is maybe the only kiss song i will kind of skip if i hear it on the radio Oh, really see i still i love i was made it's it's great undeniable maybe Mm -hmm. just over play for me but Shandy I have all the time in the world for still Uh, over and over I will never get sick of Shandy me neither I'm in that category I hate it (laughs) yeah Um. (laughs) you're allowed to hate it Uh, David Frick from Rolling Stone his quote was that it suggests the Doobie Brothers with Kabuki makeup what does Kabuki makeup sound like yeah it sounds like Kiss (laughs) yeah because he thought that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard what does that even mean yeah f*** you David Frick I'll I'll cut that out I don't know that I would no, we'll get rid of that. Um, Such an empty yeah, put down. Come on. Doobie, first of all, Doobie Brothers <laughs> is a uh, compliment. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it was a compliment. After the absolute train wreck that is Shandy. Be kind. <laughs> the next song is Talk to Me. Talk to me.
Yep, this one's great. Yeah, this one's so good. So Ace is like clamoring for more uh, songwriting on the albums. He's he gained confidence from the runaway success of his solo album, which surprised everyone by selling more than Gene or Paul's or anyone. Mm-hmm. It was the only one with a hit single, New York Groove. I'm back, back in the New York So he grew in confidence as a writer and more importantly as a vocalist, which is his big inhibition before that. So he has, how many songs does he have? We'll have three, three on the record. Yeah, yeah. Three. yeah. So that's the most he's ever had. Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, each one is quite different. Talk to me. I just think it's just a great pop, hard rock pop song in yeah. a way. Yeah. He's using an open tuning, which is like in contrast to like the more you know, traditional chords that like Kiss normally use, Paul or Gene. So Ace is sort of has like a this sort of like, I don't know, he, he's got these open string electric guitar sound that's like typical for blues players, but he's using it for like this kind of poppy song. And apparently Paul loved this song and loved playing it. And they played it on the Australian tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's like for Ace fans, like a, a favorite. It is yeah. of mine. I, I yeah. really love it. I'd say this is the best a song on the record for sure. Uh-huh. I love his style of singing. Like it's kind of lazy. Like I, I don't know. I love it. I don't know if lazy is the best word for he it, but it's like you said, like yeah. it's just like the yeah. other guys. Yeah, yeah. It's like earlier when I don't remember what maybe it was Torpedo Girl. You're like Ace just doesn't give a. F- like yeah. he really doesn't. Like it's just like he's his delivery is just so cool. It's true. And Ace is playing bass on this one. Oh, he's cool. playing bass on all his own tracks on this record. <gasps> Yeah. Move over, Gene. Yep. Speaking of Gene, the next song is Naked City. I'm a huge fan. I think like, well, first of all, you've never heard Kiss do anything like this. It's like kind of sophisticated, uptown, like New York studio rock Mm -hmm. of the day with jeans like, you know, really sort of aspirational, social butterfly sort of aspirations of becoming someone in New York City. At this point, he's wearing like these sort of grown up blazers and stuff and his hair is less wild. And, you know, they're starting to sort of seek the validation of middle of the road sort of or, or, or high society basically there's a lyric he goes i sacrifice my social position tonight and it's like oh you're thinking about your social Mm -hmm. position what is okay what's going on here so and it is gene at that point you know he was really aware of like his place in the world Mm -hmm. you know gene only has a couple songs on this record right like is it two Mm. is that Uh, it no three it's Mm -hmm. three so this Maybe this is one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite records is it's almost like a Paul Stanley solo record, right? It's just so Paul heavy. Yeah, Naked City's a great song. There's like lots of disco flavors. The drums are like mm-hmm. really kind of sophisticated, funky stuff. And there's a big bridge. So like the producer, Vinny Poncia, yeah, Vinny is Poncia. bringing like, you know, real pop song craft to the songs. So you notice these songs have a middle eight. In UK, they say 
middle eight over here, they say bridge, um, that are really well-developed middle eight bridge parts that kind of take the song somewhere else. Like when we were listening to it earlier, I was like, oh my God, I forgot about how colorful this bridge is before they do another breakdown and then go back into the chorus. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there's lots to sort of grab onto musically it's like a really well-made song and it's like funny to hear gene sing these lyrics too Mm -hmm. like it's not it's not done without a little cheek you know even on gene's part he's not taking it all that seriously but but he still reveals himself you know in his lyrics which is fun and i like it because it has the word naked in the title yeah (laughs) (laughs) the next song is called what makes the world go round Interesting fact, this song was influenced by one of Paul's favorite soul groups, The Spinners. Little tidbit. What do you guys think about this song? I like this one. The phrasing in the verse, like the vocal phrasing reminds me of King of the Nighttime World. It kind of he's kind of mm. doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But you like this one. You're just singing the chorus out, just bound it out there, Robin. Yeah. Do you want to give us it. a taste of that? No. Okay. It's a classic Paul song, right? It, is. Like it sounds like it could have been on his solo album, could have mm-hmm. been on Rock and Roll Over. I mean, it's like that kind of just like if you love Paul, that's what he does, like kind of best, those kind of like up tempo, kind of feel good. Yeah. You know? It's great. I yeah. dig it too. It's just great, Paul. The next one is tomorrow. And tomorrow, we're gonna fall in love, fall in love. Tomorrow, we're gonna fall in love, fall in love. Tomorrow, tune. This is a tune if I've ever heard a tune. Yeah, I like that one. It's a banger. <laughs> It's so good. This is another one that could be on his solo record. Like I sometimes have to think, like, is that one on Unmasked or is it on a solo record? Because it is another one that could be on either. And just listening to it, how was that not kind of a contender for a single? Yeah. Totally. What yeah. or was it? It's so Boom. perfectly Paul. Yeah, it's so exuberant and it's really positive. And as I was saying, it's like he's talking to you. He's oh, no. totally <laughs> talking to me. It was it was the third single. Was it? Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Yep, it went Shandy, Talk to Me, Tomorrow. Any chart action on it? Let's find out. Only in Australia? Yeah, probably. Uh, It's Wikipedia time. When you just want the fans. (laughs) Tomorrow is a song by American high rock band Kiss, released as the third single. The song was never performed live. As far as charts go, it only charted in Germany at number 70. Or at least that's the only chart that's on Wikipedia. Hmm. Uh, It's because Paul plays bass on that one. That's why it wasn't a successful single. (laughs) Did, did he play bass on it? Yeah, he, he played a bass on that one and another one on the record. I can't... I've got it in my notes once we get to the song, but... Uh, yeah. They were breaking off into pairs with Vinny to write a lot of these songs, mm-hmm. like Paul and... I think, from what I remember, like, Vinny's, like, involved in the songwriting. Don't think on Ace's songs, so I think Ace, like, really kind of came in with, like, finished songs. Yeah, there's only one track that uh, he co-wrote with... Torpedo Girl is a co-write with Vinny. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's a good song. I like that one. It doesn't... It's great. That's the thing about this record. Like, that doesn't sound like a kiss song at all it sounds like uh sounds like a power pop i mean they always had power pop elements but that Mm -hmm. this is a weird record Mm -hmm. purposely on their part like they wanted to make a pop rock album yeah so like i I guess like dynasty was the point where they you know made the disco song and Vinny got involved and there's some like more pop elements although there's some like rocking stuff on yeah the a songs Mm -hmm. are rocking this album is more like refined and more pop I mean, although Paul's songs are just real kind of power pop rock. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gene's songs seem more funky and Paul's are like more straightforward Paul. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Speaking of straightforward rock, the next song is Two Sides of the Same Coin. Two sides of the coin to choose from. Another A song, awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Fun. Yeah. That's all I got. That's all you got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, two, two sides, sides of the, the coin, coin is great. Yeah, so he's like describing like, he's like in a blase way about life on the road and you got to make a choice and he's like, uh, Well, what's the funny lyric about who you're going to date? Well, he's just got so many women to choose from. Yeah, like, yeah, just, how's he going to choose one? He needs time. You know, he needs time. And, and there's something about he needs to ease his mind or rest his mind or something. Mm-hmm. So he's almost like turning down sex to like have a nap. Yeah. <laughs> in the hotel. Well, yeah. So for a few hours. Whoops. I'd like to say a word or two about the women we all seem to know. They're all around us. They're everywhere. You meet them this place and then meet them there. Then you decide to pick a mate because you're tired of all those dates of all those dates. He's love weary. Ace. Well, and he's worldly, and I guess maybe at every stop it's the same women. Yeah. You know? Don't I? You meet know them it. in this place and then you meet them there. Oh, God. Next up, we've got She's So European. You'd never believe her. She's got a well planned look in her eyes. She's so European. She's one of a kind. One of a kind. She. Again, so worldly. They're just really so worldly at this point. Yeah, this is a Jean song. They're growing up. They're buying blazers. Yeah. <laughs> they're putting aside the like tour jackets and they're buying like tweed blazers. Yeah. Was Jean dating Cher by this point? Right. It was over Cher by then, wasn't it? And Diana Ross. Yeah. And I'm sure they're having birthday parties at the Russian Tea Room, you mm-hmm. know, and like to the hardcore fans, teenage fans, you know, they definitely lost their edge. Yeah, they had sold out long, long before this. Yeah. Shandy was, they were disgusted with Shandy mm-hmm. in America, the kid, the teenagers. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> Do you like this one? She's so European? I think it's, yeah. I, I mean, it's, again, revealing of Gene, his psyche at the time. And, and we were saying earlier, it's like it sort of reveals like a kind of Brooklyn provincialism. And to a greater degree, I would say Paul and Gene's insecure, uh, like their, their inferiority complex. That is so, I feel, explicit in everything Paul and Jean do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that they always feel like people are making fun of them. And they were, you know. So they worked ten times as hard as everyone else. And like got there. And like, see? Now I'm going to stick it to you guys. So yeah. for Jean, a woman to be European is like extremely impressive and exotic. Mm-hmm. Her European ways, you know. Does he give any specific examples of Yeah, like, like her weekend how in European Saint-Tropez. She, yeah, well, he right. says she still has has an accent uh she's <laughs> but so... she was sleeping in a brass bed because her parents were still away so oh, she was yeah. young she was so very she's young. a rich kid maybe like yeah rich kid party kid mm-hmm. yeah she still speaks with an accent from a week in saint tropez she makes love on her brass bed because her parents are still away well you ought to see her counting the stars in her eyes you'd never believe her she's got a well-planned coverless smile she's so european she's one of a kind all in her mind oh so maybe she's a fake is that what it's about she's an imposter she's actually american but she goes over with her rich yeah. parents yeah she goes for I, a week but comes back with an accent with an accent she's one of those yeah yeah she's on airs <laughs> she 
walked in like a lady with a glass of pink champagne. I wouldn't look if you paid me because to me, she's still the same. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Gene was maybe phoning it in with this one. I think, uh, yeah. I think he was just like giving it to Paul, you know, like this is Paul's record. He's just like, how many do you need me to do for this one? Oh, one more? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I got this one. That's, oh, she's so European. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I started this one. I guess I can finish it for you. Yeah. Is, can, Vinny, can you finish this? I got Eat. dinner. <laughs> I gotta go to dinner. Yeah. The next track is easy as it seems. Another Paul song. Paul's mm-hmm. playing bass again. Got a pretty sweet keyboard solo. Yeah, it's a new sound. I do. I like those little uh, those little synths. Mm-hmm. We're hearing yeah a little bit of new wave synths coming into the fold. This is what I love about Unmasked is they're not afraid to. I mean, it's Vinny's influence, but they were not afraid to allow these like playful pop elements. This ear candy, you know, the kind of like slight funk edge of the rhythm tracks. They were into it. They were like, mm-hmm. let's go for it. And you know what? It's not even the most commercial. That's not the most commercial move they could have done they could have done kind of much more overtly commercial stuff frankly totally yeah so this is with an end look at paul's songs like except for shandy this one in particular they are just really really classic paul songs that Mm -hmm. really kind of bind the record together and kind of give it the kiss shape gene while gene's kind of you know off a little bit but ace is delivering great stuff as well yeah too so and then no peter tracks to contend with because he's already out of the band mm-hmm. so it's just the three of them now yeah so three gene songs three ace how many songs are there 10 11 okay so paul gets four then mm-hmm. what else was coming out in 1980 like they weren't trying to sound like their anything else right yeah, so 1980 you know it's like we're getting into like foreigner and boston Right. No, they don't sound like that. Mm-mm. Yeah, they don't sound like their competition. And maybe, like, they don't sound like Aerosmith. Right. They're just being Paul. <laughs> Perfect. Next track is Torpedo Girl. Tor- and wait. Battle Station. <laughs> Not Torpedo. Torpedo? Ace Tor- is smoking something on this one. Are you having a hard time saying Torpedo? This one has sound effects and stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, Some samples. Uh, submarine sound effects. Yeah. This is this is his one co-write with the producer. Really? Uh, yep. And Ace is again playing the bass. It's got some crazy polyrhythm thing mm-hmm. and a really crazy funk bass. Yeah, I it's got, that was some, Gene. That's it's got some stank on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you guys like that one? Torpedo Girl, you're down, right? I like. It's I, fine, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's funky and fun. It's yeah. like, mm-hmm. uh, it's not like his best song, but it's like, it just sounds so different. Mm-hmm. The Just rhythmically, it's fun and playful. Yeah. It's part of the whole thing. And uh, we're already at the last track on the album it's you're all that i want gene track stank riff off the top 
stank riff. The opening riff in the verse, that sounds like an older Kiss to me. That mm-hmm. like sounds yeah. like a classic Kiss song. Kind of like a rock riff and mm-hmm. then uh, like a 60s girl group chorus almost. Funny. Yeah. Interesting. Good. Not a, not a total killer but it's like gene singing the verses and then paul kind of does the chorus more or i don't know it seems like he comes in on the chorus for sure yeah, I don't i'm know. not sure i feel like it would be better on a different record mm. but it's good i like it so is that how they end it yeah we're ending on a sort of a downturn for our well, anticlimactic ending well they should have done better yeah too better. Had a better last track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Taking us out with Paul would have been better. Maybe like a real ballad. Well, no, we already have a kind of... Mm-hmm. Do you consider Shandy a ballad? I never did. No, I don't think of Shandy as a ballad. Yeah, me neither. I mean, it's a love song. Yeah. But it's not a ballad. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought of it as a, a piece of shit. Don't be so <laughs> rude. <laughs> I guess they don't kidding. do their first... I guess Paul doesn't do his first ballad until... I still love you on Creatures of the Night. Is that possible? I don't know. I think it is. Yeah. Hmm. Like capital B ballad. I think we've come to the end of our... Of our Pembroke episode. Of our Pembroke episode. Uh, Jordan, you want to plug your stuff? What do you got? Um, I uh, have a new covers record under the Blink of the Star name called Arista. And it's my first album of covers. It's a lot of fun. And it just came out two days ago. So Bandcamp, Spotify, whatever... And are you at Blinker the Star on Instagram? Just Google it. Yeah, you'll find it. <laughs> lazy. Yeah. Don't be lazy. Don't ask me. Uh, we'll put it on our stuff. Yeah, and you know what we'll do this week? Because um, we like to post throughout the week when we mm. uh, release an episode. So maybe we'll post some video clips of Blinker, some of the videos that I've made for Blinker. Maybe we'll post some clips on the Instagram feed. So keep an eye out for that this week. Yeah, that'll be fun. I think we're coming to the end. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you, guys. Thanks I quite for enjoyed having it. us this weekend. Yeah. It's been so fun here. We're yeah. going to well, come back. The fun's not over. We're going to have a little barbecue tonight mm-hmm. on Fire. the farm here, hang out with the kids. Under those Pembroke skies. And you know what? We'll go out on that one today. Here's uh, Trevor Zebar's tribute to the wonderful town of Pembroke and the wonderful experiences he's had here. This is Pembroke Skies, and this has been Reaction Brats. See you next time. Bye. I've been so high under Pembroke skies. Been recognized under Pembroke skies. In between thighs Under Pembroke skies I hope my heart dies Under Pembroke skies Pembroke skies You've got me hypnotized The blues flows into wine Oh, 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 oh,
dark skies Gave off the wrong vibe Under Pembroke skies Got drunk with cool guys Under Pembroke